At the Canaan Church, our mission is bringing people to Christ and helping every person to become a mature disciple in Christ. Canaan Christian Church, where people dare to dream. And so for the past several weeks, Pastor Malone has been teaching us from the book of Titus and from the theme, The Order of the House. And from his teachings, Pastor has explained that God has an expectation of us, that God has an expectation for the church and its leadership, that God has an expectation for how we are to live our lives in relationship with him and in relationship with one another. He's been teaching us and talking to us about Christian ethics. He taught us, on, uh, taught us that Christian ethics are the Christian principles and values found in the word of God that we are to live by and allow to govern our lives all the while leaning and depending on God to give us the insight and godly wisdom we need to make good and godly decisions that please God. Pastor was very clear that Christian ethics is not always easy. When Pastor Malone taught on the subject matter of marriage, divorce, and homosexuality, it was challenging for many of us. And yet it was important that we came to understand what God's expectation is concerning these matters and to the order of the house. So I want to encourage you, if today is your first day joining us in this study, I want you to go to the website, to the YouTube uh, page, and listen to the previous teachings, because I know it will bless you. Amen. So brothers and sisters, principles, Christian principles and values help us to navigate through life in a world and a culture that constantly caters to desires, the desires of the flesh. As Christians, while we live in the world, we are not of the world. And we do not operate as the world operates. At least we should not be. As Reverend Charles rem uh, reminded us and mentioned to us in his teaching last week, we are to be different than the world. We are a peculiar people. Our lives uh, should give testimony to the saving grace of God through Jesus Christ who has justified us and the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. So as directed by pastor and with the help of the Lord, I'm going to continue to teach us under the theme, order in the house. So we're gonna complete the study in Titus. So I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Titus chapter three. We're looking at verses nine through 15. 9 through 15. And the word of the Lord reads, But avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. Reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. When I send Artemis to you, or Tychicus, be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. 
Send Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their journey with haste that they may lack nothing. And let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. Amen. So the book of Titus is a pastoral letter that Paul addresses to Titus, who is a young pastor, but he has grown into a mature leader under Paul's tutoring and nurturing, and he's learned how to organize and lead the church. And so Paul has assigned Titus the responsibility of setting in order the church in Crete. And so as Reverend Charles reminded us last week, the churches at Crete were founded amidst a society and a culture that is influenced by Greek culture that promoted fleshly living and idol worship, which is worshiping other gods. So there were those in the church who had come from this culture and had lived that sin, that life of sin rather, and but now had committed themselves, their life to Christ. And as Christians, they had the responsibility of not only denouncing sin, but living out their faith, even as they lived among those who were unsaved. So because of what Christ did on the cross to deliver them from sin, they have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to live according to his will. So Paul says in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, to remind these Christians for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches them to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while they wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. You see, brothers and sisters, as believers, we have the power of the precious Holy Spirit living inside us. And that enables us to live the life God wants us to live, lives that are self-controlled, upright, and godly. And as we continue to seek and grow in our relationship with God in the study and the application of his word, then our lives, as we follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we will be better able to fight against the temptations and the lusts of the flesh. Why? Because we will have submitted our will to God and we are in service to Christ to do what is good. So what also needs to happen is that leaders in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, they need to faithfully live out the word of God before the people, setting a good example and to be faithful according to Titus chapter two, verse 15. They are to teach, Encourage, and when necessary, rebuke with all authority. So Paul has taught and nurtured Titus, and he in turn has the responsibility of teaching and training church leaders in Crete to carry on the ministry 
because at some point, Titus will be leaving them and going to another assignment. So we pick up at verse nine, and Paul continues to instruct Titus and tells him what he should avoid when he teaches. But avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. You see, Titus warned by Paul, he says, don't get caught up in foolish, petty arguments. Avoid it. Don't have anything to do with it. Don't participate in it. It's not profitable and it's useless. Now this doesn't mean that you and I can't have a meaningful discussion with someone if it's for the purpose of gaining understanding and wisdom. But if it starts to go to the left and starts turning into an argument, then you'd be wise to start talking about something else or just shut the conversation down all together. Just shut it down. Because you see, brothers and sisters, there is no place in the church for members arguing and fussing and fighting, much less about trivial and foolish stuff. It will serve no good purpose. So for those of us who teach God's word, Avoid falling into the trap of getting into senseless arguments about the scriptures. God's word stands on its own. Study it. Ask God to cut the light on so that you understand what it says. And then teach others what it says and let that be that. Period. Amen? Amen. So... One of the problems that Christians in Crete were having to deal with were false teachers. False teachers who claimed to have divine knowledge with the authority to speak divine truth as though they spoke for God. The truth of the matter was they did not speak for God. And, and what they were doing was spreading lies, and fables and teaching false doctrines that contradicted and cast doubt on and attacked the word, the truth of God's word. And, and with their religious ideologies and teachings, what they were doing was causing chaos and confusion among the believers, particularly uh, among those who were struggling to understand the truth of God's word. So reading from the Amplified Version of the Bible, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, say that false teachers are conceited and woefully ignorant, understanding nothing. He has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, which produces, listen, envy, quarrels, verbal abuse, evil suspicions, and perpetual friction between men who are corrupted in mind and deprived of the truth, who think that godliness is a source of profit 
a lucrative money-making business, and he says, withdraw from them. Paul warns Titus about these false teachers in Titus chapter 1, verses 10 through 14. Titus chapter 1, verses 10 through 14. Let me check there. He says, uh, yes. He says, for there are many insubordinate but idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Amen. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Having to deal with the same issue, Paul gave Timothy similar instructions in 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. Knowing that they generate strife. Now, the term genealogy or genealogies mentioned in Titus chapter 3 verse 9, as it relates to these Jewish false teachers, they took excessive pride in the list of names in the Old Testament of ancestral lines. They bragged about their long pedigree. They would take these genealogies and spin them into outrageous mystical interpretations and speculations to use in their disputes to attack the word of God. All of this was useless contentions and strivings about the law. There were those who were having heated discussions, heated disagreements and fighting about the law and promoting legalism. In Timothy chapter one, first Timothy chapter one, some false teachers were identified by Paul who the scriptures described were teaching a different doctrine that does not agree to the sound instruction of the Lord God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and to godly teaching. They, the false teachers, devoted themselves, they were loyal, to pointless, useless speculations and arguments. They desired to be teachers of the law, but they were ignorant. They had no understanding of what they were saying, nor about what they were affirming. They were strictly motivated by their desire for power, prominence, and prestige. In other words, they were trying to make a name for themselves. One way to spot a false teacher. Amen? Instead of studying, instead of doing what pleases God out of love that comes from a pure heart, the word of God says, a good conscience and a sincere faith. So self-righteous and legalistic Jewish teachers, the Judaizers, 
who held to the Mosaic law, wanted Christians to observe and practice the Mosaic rites and ceremonies in the church. But this goes against the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. Jesus fulfilled the law by his death, burial, and resurrection. This paid the cost for sin and secured salvation for all who would believe. So as a result of the gospel, Jesus ushered in a new paradigm, the dispensation of grace. Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 5 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. Amen. In Galatians chapter two, verse 15, it declares that knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Jewish teachers who, whose teaching mixed the, the keeping of the law with the grace that comes from God through Jesus Christ were forsaking the truth of God, forsaking the truth of God's word and was leading those who listened away from the truth. The trouble these false teachers were causing in the church was one reason why there needed to be strong spiritual leadership and sound biblical teaching in the church. And that's true for today. Titus chapter 1 verse 5 says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. So according to uh, Titus chapter one, verse nine, and I'm gonna read this in the Amplified version. These leaders, pastors, elders needed to be godly men. Godly men who must hold firmly to the trustworthy word of God as it was taught to him so that he will be able both to give accurate instruction in sound, reliable, error-free doctrine and to refute those who contradict it by explaining their error. Mm. 
False teachers, my brothers and sisters, exist today. They exist today. They show up anywhere and everywhere. On your job, in public places, the park, the restaurant, the grocery store, on TV, and on social media outlets. False teachers show up in the church and become a part of the fellowship. You didn't know that the devil comes to church? And he comes to church in some of us. Paul exhorts the leaders in Ephesus in Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. And we're going to be looking at verses 28 through 30. Acts chapter 20, looking at verses 28 through 30. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Hmm. Hmm. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Pastors, leaders must be vigilant as much today as they were in Paul's times. Vigilant of those who would try to disrupt the work of God, cause division in the church, and draw persons away from Christ, away from the truth of God's word, and leading them to sin. Some will be bold in their approach, and it'll be easy to spot them. But then there'll be others who'll be more subtle. What makes them so dangerous, so dangerously effective is that they seem to know the Bible. They know, they know the church lingo. They, they seem to know the scriptures. But these savage wolves, the Bible calls them, and the men and even the women, yes, for that matter, who will rise up from among the congregation with their false doctrines, legalism, controversies, and mystical interpretations, will take advantage of persons who the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, excuse me, yeah, chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, and I'm going to read from the Message Bible again, that they will have, these persons will have no stomach for solid teaching, but will fill up on spiritual junk food, catching opinions with tickling their fancy. They'll turn their backs on truth and chase mirages. Lord have mercy. Be that as it may, the leadership of the church 
The leadership of the church has the responsibility to keep watch over the flock, to protect it from the threats of those who are influenced by seducing spirits and being used by Satan to spread doctrines of demons that cause division in the church to hinder the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace to hinder the truth of God's word from going forth, to hinder the spiritual growth of the fellowship and seeks to disrupt the church's evangelistic work in the world. The church, my brothers and sisters, is always under attack of the enemy, always under the attack by the demonic and its followers but I read in God's word that no weapon formed against the church or the church's purpose shall prosper. Jesus himself proclaimed that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen? And so once they are exposed, then Titus chapter 3 verse 10 tells us that those who are in error must be addressed. They must be addressed. Reject a divisive man after the first and second amnition. Reject a divisive man after the first and second amnition. This is called church discipline, brothers and sisters. Church discipline. And, and Paul uh, instructs Titus on how he is to go about handling this issue. And so he tells him, he says, you must reject a divisive man. He cannot be left to continue causing division, disagreement, chaos, and confusion amongst the people of God. A divisive person is a person who lives a disordered life. Their life is, is not ordered, is not governed by the principles and values of God. Therefore, confusion and chaos live within them. And they create and communicate confusion and chaos. Uh, Pastor Malone said this in his message on Sunday, this past Sunday. He said, the devil is the author of confusion. God has nothing to do with confusion. When he creates the world, he brings community out of chaos. God wants us to operate in his will according to his word, quote, unquote. And then pastor said something. He went on to say something uh, this past Sunday um, that was, it should have gotten all of our attention. It was something, it was so profound. He said, you cannot have disorder in your spirit and have order in your daily life. You cannot be out of sync with God in the interior aspect of your being and then think that you're going to operate with the favor of God in your life. God wants to bring order to your life. Quote, unquote. Now he's going to expound on this a little, bit, a little deeper in about three weeks, he says, in the teaching that he's going to do in the book of Proverbs. So you all need to be present for that teaching, amen, and bring some folk with you. 
All right, amen? So for the person that is causing division in the church, God wants to deliver you. He wants to bring order to your life. So when it's made clear that there is a person in the church that is causing division, the Bible says, not Reverend Buford, I didn't say it. The Bible says that they are to be rejected and have nothing to do with them. That's what the Bible says. But before this action is taken, Paul says, warn them first. Warn them first of their divisiveness. Um, before he exacts punishment, God, who is full of love and full of mercy and full of grace, first warns us of the consequences of disregarding his directions for our life and choosing to live life on our own terms. He, he gives us a chance before he punishes us. He gives us an opportunity to repent, to, to turn from our wrongdoing and turn back to him. Turn to him in obedience to his will in accordance to his word. So out of love for the individual who is caught up in sin, amen, Paul instructs Titus to give the person one or two warnings. Now, I don't know why he said just one or two. And I would suppose it, after one or two, that should be enough. That should be enough, right? Give this person one or two warnings and, and, we, and do it with the, the hope that they will have a change of heart, a change of behavior, and will align themselves with the teachings of Jesus Christ and receive his forgiveness and peace. God disciplines those that he loves. And disciplining an individual is showing forth the love of God that you care enough to try and help that person turn around. Turn around and repent. Now when, when warning the person, it, it should not be done uh, in a harsh uh, way or in an overly forceful way. But the person should be approached with the goal of correcting the individual and restoring them to the fellowship. That's the goal. Christ reconciled us. Amen? He was patient with us. He reconciled us. And then when he reconciled us, what did he do? He turned around and did what? He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Christ reconciled us and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that we too should pursue reconciliation in that individual. So 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 23 through 26, reading again from the Message Bible, which makes it so plain. He instructs us on how this person is to be dealt with. He says, refuse to get involved in inane, silly, stupid discussions. 
they always end up in fights. God's servants must not be argumentative, but a gentle listener, a teacher who keeps cool, working firmly but patiently with those who refuse to obey. You never know how or when God might sober them up with a change heart, a change of heart and a turning to the truth, enabling them to escape the devil's trap where they are caught and held captive, forced to run his errands. Wow. You see, the goal is never to remove a person from the fellowship. That is not the goal. Although there may come a time when that will be necessary, but the goal, the ultimate goal, brothers and sisters, is to restore that person. But if the person refuses to be corrected after being warned, uh, the word of God calls this person a heretic a heretic and, and to reject them. Their, their refusing to be corrected is evidence, hear me, is evidence that they know what they're doing. And they have no intentions of stopping what they're doing. Verses, verse 11 in Titus chapter three says that such a person is warped, sinful, and he or she is self-condemned. They've been warned that what they are doing is wrong, it's sinful, the leader has given them the truth of God's word concerning their error and behavior, and they still insist on remaining in their sinful state, refusing to be changed. They are self-condemned because their stubborn, unrepentant heart is the, the punishment is the result of that. It's a choice that they made. And so the punishment has to be exacted. The, the scriptures tell us that they must be rejected. And 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 16 and 17 gives us the reason why uh, it says avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly their teaching will spread like gangrene and you know what gangrene is right it's poison you see brothers and sisters if left unchecked their godly, divisive work will spread throughout the congregation like poison, like sickness, and the church discipline needs to be applied to deal with it. That's what the Word of God says. It's a decision um, and a process that's carried out by the leadership of the church. And so as Paul brings his letter to a close to Titus, First of all, everybody just take a deep breath and exhale. That was a lot to take in, wasn't it? We don't often talk about church discipline and dealing with these types of issues that take place in the body of Christ. But we're talking about the order of the house and what needs to take place so that order will remain in the house because we serve a God of order and he expects us to do things decently 
and in order. Amen. Okay, so is everybody okay? All right, all right. So, so again, Paul brings this letter to a close and he gives final instructions to this young pastor in verses 12 and 13. He says, when I send Artemis to you or Tychicus, be diligent to come to me in Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Send Zenus, the lawyer, and Apollos on their journey with haste that they may lack nothing. This is the only place where, um, in the Bible um, where we hear the name Artemis, this particular man is mentioned. He's not mentioned any place else in the Bible. Um, there's nothing more that we know about him. But he must have been a man who was a faithful servant of the Lord, who possessed the spiritual character and the, the strong spiritual gifting to carry out the assignment. Otherwise, Paul would not have considered giving him that assignment to replace Titus and lead the church at Crete. Tychicus is first mentioned in the Bible in Acts chapter 20. And um, he is, um, he accompanies Paul on his third missionary journey to Asia. He's one of Paul's most trusted companions, and he's mentioned in the Bible at least five times. So in, Ephes in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 21, Paul calls Tychicus a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord. And in Colossians chapter 4, verse 7, he is called a fellow servant. He doesn't know yet which one he's going to send. But Paul is going to send one of these highly capable servants to relieve Titus so that these churches will continue to have and receive the help and guidance that they need. So as soon as they arrive, Titus will uh, quickly make his way to Nicopolis where Paul has decided to spend the winter. And one of the reasons he wanted Titus to hurry was because it was, it was difficult to travel uh, in the wintertime. Uh, but also because I believe Paul valued the friendship and the fellowship of this Christian brother and he wanted to spend time with him. Paul knew that soon his life would come to an end. He was at the end of his life, end of his, of his ministry, but until then he still had work to do. He still uh, had more work to do for the kingdom's sake and perhaps he wanted to share his thoughts with Titus. Maybe he wanted to continue pouring in to Titus, amen, as he moved forward in ministry. As he was about to step off the scene, Titus would move forward into ministry. They had a bond, a relationship that we as Christians, we ought to seek to have with one another. We should appreciate the blessings that we have in one another. God has called us um, to be in relationship with one another, and he's called us to do ministry together, to be supportive and encouraging to one another in ministry. Apollos and Zenos, they were yoked together in ministry here. Now, Zenos was a lawyer, and we don't have any idea more about who he was. We don't know if he was an expert in Jewish law or Roman law. We just know that he's a lawyer. And yoked with Apollos, Apollos was a powerful preacher. And you read about him in, in Acts, right? He was another one of Paul's faithful and trusted colleagues in the ministry. And he's described in Acts chapter 18, verse 24 and 27 as being eloquent. He, he was well-spoken. 
uh, mighty in the scriptures, having been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, the word of God says. And so his ability to teach accurately the things of the Lord is important to note considering what I just shared with you concerning divisive people, false uh, teachers and false doctrine, right? So, so the Bible says in Acts chapter 18 that Apollo, he went to Achaia and he was a great help to the people there who believed uh, uh, through grace and, and that he, Apollo, vigorously refuted the Jews publicly showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Brothers and sisters, it cannot be overstated. It cannot be overstated that we must know this word. We must know this word so that we can remain steadfast in the faith of Jesus Christ. We must study and learn the word of God. For 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 tells us that we must always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that lies within us. Ready. Ready means we've prayed up, we've studied up, and we're walking in the word of God. Yes, yes, yes. God's word is truth. God's word is truth. God's word is the sword of the spirit and the only weapon that we have to fight against the schemes and the lies of the devil. God's word that we would hide it in our hearts that we may not sin against him. Word. Verse 13, sends in us the lawyer and Apollos on their journey with haste that they may lack nothing. It appears that Zenos and Apollo brought this letter to Titus. And after making the delivery, Paul wants Titus to take care of his fellow servants. He wants them to be taken care of, shown hospitality, and make sure that they have everything that they need. That's what he tells Titus. Make sure that they lack nothing. Being faithful in service, these men were probably on their way to their next assignment, their next ministry assignment. Perhaps to one of the churches in that area. To have provisions that Titus would give them would go a long way in helping them to continue the work of their ministry. And so it's important, brothers and sisters, that we support our spiritual leadership. You hear, you hear what I'm saying? We must support our spiritual leadership. The commitment to the work of leading the church is not done effectively. Hmm. The commitment to the work of, the, of leading the church is not done effectively except by the help of the Lord, of course. But also with great effort and love and faith and passion and sacrifice. That his leader puts forth. Who does that sound like? It sounds like Jesus, but it also sounds like Dr. Walter Malone Jr. That's why I have to stop for a minute because I think about how hard he works. 
I think about the love that he has for God and the love that he has for all of us, for this church, for the church universal, for the passion that he has, the sacrifices that he's made over these 40, 50 years. It's no short order, brothers and sisters. We need to support our pastor as much as we can because he's worthy, amen. He's worthy of the support. Brothers and sisters, we must support one another as fellow servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. We should endeavor to help one another as we travel on our Christian journey so that no one goes lacking. These men who came along Paul and alongside Paul in ministry represent the good works that has been an ongoing theme throughout the book of Titus. Paul tells us to tell the tells uh, Paul tells Titus to tell the people in verse 14. He says, "And let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs, that they may not be unfruitful." And as people of God, we must learn to do the works of love. Christ's love has redeemed us from sin and empowered us by the Holy Spirit to do good works. We must be devoted to do good works of loving and caring for others and be ready to help those who have urgent needs. And everywhere you look, there are urgent needs. We live in a world of urgent needs, don't we? The urgent need to get the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who are lost in sin. There are people who are urgently in need of food and shelter and, and water, medical care. People are in urgent need of deliverance from abuse and neglect and loneliness and despair. You and I, brothers and sisters, as children of God, we have the answer. That answer is Jesus Christ. We have the answer. And he wants to use you and me to be his hands and feet to make a difference in someone's life. Mm -hmm. So let us pray and ask God to help us individually and collectively as a church to be fruitful, productive in a world filled with urgent needs to be the answer to someone's prayer. For the Bible in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 tells us, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let us live our lives in a manner pleasing to God so that our lives become the evidence of the saving grace of Jesus Christ and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. Let us purpose, my brothers and sisters, to let our light so shine before men and women that they might see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven and prayerfully make the decision to give their life to Christ. And as I bring our study to a close, Paul ends his letter to Titus with a greeting and a benediction. All who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. What an encouragement and comfort it must have been for Titus to know that the believers with Paul sent greetings to him to let him know that he's loved and supported. And Paul wanted Titus to greet all who loved them in the faith, which I believe 
would have made the believers in Crete feel the same as Titus did, loved and supported. Paul ends by pronouncing God's grace, his unmerited favor and love be with not only Titus, but we be with them all. Amen? Amen. This ends our study, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The people represent the church no matter where we are. So stay connected and reach others as we grow in Christ.